Somebody will ask you to do something and they say, well, that's not my job. Or that's outside of my job description. Exactly. And now. Hey, <laughs> hey. I'm the captain now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sitting off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? You know, thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 165 of the Chris and Christine Show. What? We are back. Back in the saddle again, baby. We are. It has been a hot minute or 10 because it is hashtag wedding season and I've been on the road and we have just completed back to back four weddings. Yes, four weddings in three weeks. It has been, whew, it's been, it's been quite a journey, Chris. Just You've so we're clear, like we didn't get married four times. You actually took care of four different weddings for four different couples. Uh, yes. And by taking care of, you meant, you mean producing. So uh, one we did florals for, one we did florals and wedding planning. Another one was a multi-day wedding and we did florals and planning and all of the styling. And I just finished today uh, at like 11 a.m. Day three of a three-day wedding weekend for my clients where we did full service planning here in San Diego. It has been quite the wedding season for sure. We went and celebrated afterwards with brunch and mimosas, and I came back and took a three-hour nap. You know that's, right what, here. that's what happens when you drink mimosas in the middle of the day, and you I just, know. You know, I was thinking about drinking some too. I saw the platter of the multiple multiple drink platter they have. It's a mini flight of mimosas. Oh, that, yeah. that looks so good. You know, as the server walked around the restaurant with them, like, oh, I should get one of those. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'll probably just uh, lay low on the uh, booze in the middle of the day on Sunday. <laughs> Well, you know, I have worked I just nonstop for the past couple of weeks and you've been holding down the fort and I was actually on the road traveling for 10 days for three of those weddings and got back on Monday, last Monday at like 1 a.m. So Sunday night slash Monday morning and went right into full work week and then another week of wedding planning. And so uh, it's gosh, it's so nice to just calm down and relax and drink a mimosa. I know. You, you, I know I'm yawning right now. Yeah. Wow. You've had a busy, you know, last month or two, however, yeah. long, however long it's been. You know, I've been busy too. Um, as you record this, we just had a spring break here in San Diego. The kids were out of school. I was out of school or actually out of work. Out of work. <laughs> yeah, but not like, not like you fired, got fired, but like you were on no, vacation. No, I always try to plan my vacations centered around the kids' vacation. So right. in the event I want to do something with them while they're off and I'm off, we can do that. Like summer and this time it actually happened to be spring break. I was off a full week. They were off. And I was kind of figuring out what I want to do with the kids. So I said, you know what? I know the kids love theme parks. They love going out and doing things. I'm like, you know what? Why don't we go up to L.A. and go to Knott's Berry Farm for the <laughs> Knott's Berry Farm Boysenberry Festival? Oh, I totally forgot you took them to that. Yeah. So you took both of the boys and uh, did anything go wrong? 
Well, before everything went wrong, things did go right. <laughs> we did get up there and I bought the tickets online. So you do get like free. When you buy the tickets online, it's a package where you get parking, entrance to the park and three samples of all these multiple berry food themed stations. You see, Knott's Berry Farm is famous for their boysenberries. And didn't you say they invented them? I think they did. Yeah, they invented the actual boysenberry. I think if you have. Any version of a boysenberry anywhere in the world, the roots of it all come from Knott's Berry Farm. Not the amusement park itself, but like the actual, the berry farm, like the, Correct, yeah. the producers that then make the jam and the jelly, which is what Knott's is famous for. Correct. And during their food festival, every single thing, all these crazy food dishes, all, of course, boysenberry infused food i love boysenberry it's so good it's like a combination of a raspberry and maybe a blackberry and a little bit of blueberry but not the shape of a blueberry but it's so good it is it's really good so they're very sweet they are and so everything they had there had boysenberry in it the first thing we went to go eat was uh, mac and cheese with like buffalo chicken with a boysenberry drizzle Yuck. all over it. I had that. It was okay. And that's like, okay. That's I'm a big like, Mac and Cheese fan though. It's like Buddy the Elf. Like, hold on. Let me have like Mac and Cheese with syrup on it. Like, isn't that disgusting? Well, it's, yeah, they made it work though. And then I had, and the kids had later, we had uh, boysenberry milkshakes. Those are always good because who doesn't love a good milkshake, especially a boysenberry one. Uh-huh. And then here's a kicker. The ones that Mason and I got had a physical donut. In the milkshake, a big donut, like sticking out the top of the milkshake. And we ate those. And of course, later we had boysenberry stuff. The kids had boysenberry um, infused. No, it was boysenberry like um, barbecue sauce with boysenberry in it for chicken wings. Of course, Mason didn't like that. He had to pick all the uh, wipe it off with a napkin because he likes his, oh my gosh, his wings. So and those, I know he's so dramatic. So we rode the rides and you know, Jacob is all about riding the roller coasters. And Mason's like, ah, they're fun. I'll just go hang out with. With Jacob because mm-hmm. he's my bigger brother and I'll just follow him around. Yeah. So the first thing they do is they ride a real crazy ride. They ride this new one called Hang Time and it goes upside down like eight times. <laughs> okay, hold on. Pause in this story because you had all of this food in their stomach. Yeah. And then you, as dad of the year, send them on all of these roller coasters where they're flipping upside down. And you fully expected for it to be totally fine? I, I thought so. So they um, so basically okay. rides that ride. For all, hold on. For all of the parents listening out there, can you just like see the potential for what's going to happen in this day that Chris has designed for the boys? So ride after ride after uh. ride. We should have them so much fun riding the rides. And I can't do the crazy loops anymore. I used to be able to, but I'm getting too old for that stuff. So. There is one roller coaster I really like there. It's called uh, Ghost Rider, and it's a wooden roller coaster. In fact, I think if you Google like top 10 wooden roller coasters in the world, it comes up on the list. Oh, okay. So it's it kind of reminds me of the one at Belmont Park down by the Mission Beach, but right. it's like three times as big. So if you can imagine the Belmont Park roller coaster, but three times as big and a lot smoother. Because the Belmont one's really rough. I think it's old. But it's like a like jerky. like. Yeah, yeah. This one's very smooth. So anyways, Mason rode that and he said he loved it. This is so much fun. I love this. And then Jacob's like, let's go ride Silver Bullet. Now, What's Silver Bullet? Silver Bullet is a hanging inverted roller coaster. It's the one where you sit and you're, you're actually your seats are hanging. Your feet are dangling. Oh, my word. But it does loops and twists and corkscrews and all that crazy stuff. 
And Jacob- So kind of more like ninja at Six Flags? Yeah, but without the floor. So your feet are dangling and you do loops and stuff like that. Yeah, ninja, you're dangling. No, that's Batman you're thinking of, but- No, but okay. But it's a a design of a roller coaster. They've, They've Lots of theme parks have this design of a roller coaster and they have one there too. It's called Silver Bullet. I've been on it before- and the last time I went out with Jacob uh, about a few months back, I did. I got kind of sick. So I'm like, I don't want to do this. You got you kids go do it. Right? You, <laughs> I kind of got sick, but you guys go. <laughs> You've had, you know, 17,000 calories, but you go. Yeah, you guys enjoy this one. So as I watched him on the ride, I get see him get off. Mason's like, oh, no. Oh, no. He's coming down the stairs because it's kind of an elevated platform. He comes uh-huh. down the stairs to where I'm sitting on the ground by this little, uh, these bushes, kind of like a sidewalk. They and have, he already wrote it. Yeah, he just wrote it. He comes down. He's like, I'm do you a- look pale? Yeah. He's like, I'm not feeling well. And I'm like, what's wrong, Mason? Yeah, I, that ride, I, I just can't do it. I can't do those kind of rides. He's like, I'm not I'm doing it no more. And, and he was like, laid down. And he's like, I think I'm gonna throw up. And I'm like, Mason, are you sure? He's like, I think I'm, throw up. <laughs> I'm gonna lay down. So he lays down on like the sidewalk. It's like the the brick platform that goes from sidewalk and there's a planter. It's like a big bushy planter. And he's going to lean on the sidewalk on the um, step uh-huh. between the sidewalk and the bushes. There's like a little elevated planter. Thing. Sure. I get it. So he's laying on that and he's like leaning over into like the bushes area. Okay, I don't want details. <laughs> Needless to say, Mason's uh, samples did not stay in his stomach. And yes. I get a panic text from you. Like Mason says he doesn't feel good. Mason's throwing up. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? (laughs) First of all, you fed him like all these different rich foods that are milky, milky, milky. And then let's send them upside down and sideways. And, uh, you know, probably didn't have enough water. So he may have been slightly dehydrated. That's possible. Yeah. And then, you know, then he's miserable for the rest of the day. And then, and then Jacob's we, yeah. like, this little baby. Ugh. I know Jacob wanted to be all go, go, go on the roller coasters. And I think Mason gets motion sickness. Like, I think I do too now, but he really does. I think when you go from like the Disneyland style of roller coaster to like a real roller coaster, it's a big difference. And especially when you're getting knocked up, upside down like that. Silver bullet at one point on the ride, you literally have no idea where you're going, what's up, what's down. You're just being shaken all around. And it really makes you very nauseous when you mm-hmm. get off the thing. You just like I literally was like, whoa, I, I I can't do this kind of ride anymore. It's just too much. Well, they went and you guys had fun and they were probably super excited to be able to go somewhere fun on spring break. And then y'all came back here. You went back to work. And, you know, that was several weeks ago already. And what did you all do while I was out of town? Oh, we went to Belmont Park. I took Jacob over there and Mason. And, and what is Belmont Park Belmont for Park, those that are listening? Yes. Belmont Park is a beachside amusement park. I forget who actually owns it now, but it's in Mission Beach, California, San Diego, right there on the ocean. In fact, little fat, fun fact about the Mission Beach uh, Belmont Park roller coaster is that it actually burnt down many, many years ago. The, the roller coaster, I think next year. It's coming up on its 100th anniversary. Oh, wow. So I told you. And Jacob, it's like one of those like wooden ones. Is that one pretty jerky? Because I've oh, not it's been very, on it. Yeah. Oh, you haven't been on it? Oh, my god. No, because of my back. Oh, I just don't do miss, roller yeah. coasters. I do Disney attractions. That's what I'm saying. You go from a Disney, you know, you know, mild type stuff to something a little more dramatic. You know, crazy. My, my wild and crazy rides that I love is like, it's a small world. Yeah, it's pretty scary <laughs> stuff. I mean, those dolls. Ooh. It gets you. But uh, I know but the last the kids to build my park. Yeah, when I wrote it with them and I realized, oh my goodness, this thing, I mean, I know it's a hundred years old, but 
it's very much designed in a time when they didn't have computers and didn't mm-hmm. have like you know ways to figure out the you know the geometry and, and things like that where compared to the knots Bray farm wooden roller coaster even though they look kind of similar like the knots it's like super smooth and it's figured they figured it out you know because they got computers and stuff back you know now versus back then but it was so much fun. Went down there for that. Hung out with the kids, and um, and Mason's been doing baseball. You know, he's in little league, and he's doing great. He loves doing. He he's so excited. He comes home, practices, goes to practice, goes to the games early. Says hi to all the friends when he gets there. He says hi to the coach, like hi, coach, how you doing, buddy? And he, he's very very friendly when he gets to the game. And and during those games, you know, we mentioned this before, but Jacob, his older brother, is working the snack bar, and he's like a workaholic. Yeah, so the kids have been keeping themselves busy and um, getting themselves. Well, Jacob's been, you know, earning money. Mason's been doing baseball um, and you've been holding down the fort like super dad. And, you know, what I was amazing and I was so grateful for is here I was gone for 10 days and I was like, what am I going to come home to? What's the house going to be like? Is it going to be a disaster? And I was very pleasantly surprised that the house was spotless and the housekeeper hadn't even come. So that's what I do, baby. You're welcome. No, though. No, it's not what you do. But thank you for being conscientious enough to know that when I came home, it would be really nice to come home to a clean house. So um, what's interesting is while I was gone, the first wedding I was gone for, my team had another wedding they were doing here. So I had to fly in a team member from my, it's my old business partner from Fresno to be the lead on the wedding down here um, while I was up in Camarillo. So you also hosted company here, which I know you didn't really see each other much because she was working the whole time, but um, we had our first double wedding weekend. And then, um, you know, all in the midst of all of this, we're getting ready for Ezekiel to graduate from high school no in, way. in three and a half weeks. I can't believe it. Dude had prom last night and um Oh, he loved it. I saw oh the photos gosh. and the video. He, he looked had so a blast. Good. He looked he picked out his outfit and when I was up because I was in Fresno for the wedding that I did last weekend. I did some, I didn't get to see him, but I did run errands. Like I had him leave things that he needed me to do. So I took his whole outfit to the cleaners. I ordered him a bow tie. I got his boutonniere ordered. I went and I uh, rented the limo bus for him and his friends. And a limo a, bus? Uh, yeah, party bus for him and his friends. And it's just something that I really wanted to do. And, you know, my my mentality is, our kids are really good. I mean, they sometimes they get sassy with us, but in general, you know, there could be so many things that they're into that they're not. And our boys are really, they're good boys. And I love it when we can affirm that and reward it. And so, you know, Zeke has friends at high school that are partiers and stuff like that. Not He doesn't affiliate with that very closely. He's you know, really connected now with his church youth group. It's a decision that he's been making. And um, I just really wanted him to have the full high school experience because he has worked so hard, maintained good grades. He's already registered for community college. And it's just like, I just was so happy for him to be able to go to prom. He didn't want to take a date. He just wanted to go with some, some guy friends. Oh yeah. Keep yeah. your options open. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, he wore an all black suit with a white dress shirt 
and his red and white Air Jordans and um, a cowboy hat, which I bought for him a while back. And a, he wanted a bow tie because his favorite comedian, uh, Steve Byrne, wears a bow tie when he does his comedy show. So he nice. wanted to do that. And then I ordered him a boutonniere with a white rose and a red ribbon to go with his shoes. And then he had his really cool sunglasses. He looked so good. And he was sending me videos from throughout the night, just on cloud nine and so happy. And so, you know, I've been helping him get ready for uh, his graduation. We got his announcements. I've been making his graduation party announcements. And so, you know, overall in the Chris and Christine show household outside of the studio, things have been super busy. And so what I appreciate is that we responded to the needs of our kids and our schedules. And we just, you know, said, well, we can do podcasting in a couple of weeks, but for right now, we just needed to focus on keeping everything running for the household and not overstressing me while I was traveling so that we can come back and be super excited to record this new episode, right? That's right. Fantastic. So anything else been happening that's new for you, Chris, with work? Well, if you mean like podcasting stuff, my clients I have that I do a podcast for that I create, we actually got them to sign another six-month contract. That's so exciting. It's very exciting. Not another. The last one was three months. So oh, you yeah. upgraded them to a six-month contract and... We met someone today. We're not going to say the name, but we met someone today in the business community that's a you know pretty prominent business name in San Diego. Let's just say they own one of the biggest companies in town. Well, you know, they own franchises, but is interested in your services. And I'm just so proud of you. Oh. I was like, that all happened because I was bragging about you because I heard him like making announcements at the place where we were at. And then he stopped by where we were. And checking in, just, oh, how are you folks doing? And I was like, you would be great for our podcast. You would be a great <laughs> guest. And then we started talking and I was like, I got to brag on my honey. Well, you have to talk about it, talk, get to our agent and have them, you know, get that all figured out with that stuff. So. Yeah, definitely. But this week we have a fantastic guest coming to us all the way from the country of Israel. You know, I have you been to Israel, babe. Uh, you know what? I have not. My parents have, but uh, you know, this is somebody that's going to help us talk about uh, like empowerment and leadership development. And we're going to be back with her right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services. Let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. She focuses on women's empowerment and is a podcaster just like us. Welcome to the show, Limor Bergman-Gross. Hi, Chris and Christine. It's a pleasure to be here today. Hey, Limor. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? We're, fantastic. We're doing fabulous. It's so in... In California, it is Sunday morning right now, but where in the world are you coming to us from? So I'm in Israel, where it's right now night. It's 
after 9 p.m. On Sunday as well? On Sunday as well. Yeah. yeah, they are actually nine hours ahead of us, Christine. Yeah. So is there anything that we should know? Like the world is still in existence uh, at 9 p.m. <laughs> at night. Um, has there been like, you know, any exciting things happening today? Like, should we invest in real estate or anything since you're ahead of us? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what is happening right now. We have the finals of the Israeli Ninja. What is that? Uh, do you do you watch the Ninja Show? I don't know how it's called, and not Ninja Show. Sorry, what is it? I think it's like called? American Ninja. Yeah. Or you like the yeah, acrobat? American Ninja. Exactly, exactly. So we have the local one. Uh, that's the fifth season. Extremely popular here in Israel. I'm a fan. And the finals, they they actually split it to two episodes, and the finals are broadcasted while we speak. Look at that. That's amazing. So it's like a big show over there for you all. Yes. And I'm sacrificing that to talk to two of you. <laughs> oh, well, we want to feel very special. Now, do you guys have the, you guys have like a DVR where you guys record that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is, actually we're using, we watch TV right now. Everything is like over, over the web. So we have like this uh, small device, like an Apple TV device oh yeah that basically watch tv with apps and everything is automatically recorded and you can watch later so actually i'm gonna watch it without all the commercials oh, oh that's fantastic. even better <laughs> hey do you guys you guys get youtube out there right yeah i think youtube just started their own broadcast system i think they are playing sports on it too I, youtube tv is that, is that what it is yeah my parents have it at their house here oh, oh really yeah it's very interesting but sometimes it does have commercials that are baked into it. But it's like live broadcasting, but through YouTube, I guess. Yeah. So where in Israel are you located? Are you in a metropolis or in a smaller town area? So I'm in a city called Ranana, which is um, north of Tel Aviv, not okay. very far. You can, you can consider it as a suburb of Tel Aviv. Okay. Now I've never traveled to Israel. Of course, you know, no, I think you have. No, but you know, growing up, you learn a lot about the history. I was a history teacher. So you learn a lot about the history of the region. So in the city that you live, is it a pretty modern city or does it have a lot of historical architecture there? It's, I would say pretty modern. Uh, we just celebrated 100 years, which is not considered a lot in Israel. Uh, for a place. Right. Uh, so I would say it's pretty modern. It's not, I mean, hundred years, that's the oldest you can get. Oh, wow. Yeah. No. Well, how old is this? Israel's way older than that, right? Israel's got to go back from the beginning. The beginning of time. Yeah. So you can see actually a lot of history and a lot of, uh, I, I like archaeology. So we just uh, spent yesterday uh, in a wonderful tour in a place that has ancient um caves it it's a tomb caves oh wow so, so so basically they used to bury important people there and it's like from between 1600 years to 2000 years ago oh no wow way. that's amazing was it pretty interesting to go through those caves yeah it's very interesting it's like an underground city oh, basically wow. of caves and uh, probably they discovered only a fraction of it. No way. You got to call Indiana Jones up. Get up in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Indiana Jones was a big hit here, by the way. Oh, really? I was a huge fan back oh, in the days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet. 
Now, Limor, have you always lived in Israel or did you spend any time abroad? Uh, I spent nine years in the U.S. actually between end of 2010 to end of 2019. We moved to Colorado uh, from my husband employer and we stayed in Colorado and then moved to Texas and we got back here three years ago. Wow. Okay. So Texas versus Israel, which one has more cows? What? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't the cattle industry big in Texas? I would think so. <laughs> Everything big is big in Texas. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, so you've been back since 2019. What is it that you do for a living in Israel? So I'm an executive coach for mainly for women in tech leadership roles. Wow. So is Christine. Well, I'm an executive coach, but not in the tech industry, but that's super fascinating. Um, have you been in the tech industry and around the tech industry for very long? Yes, I have. I mean, I started my career as a software engineer and I've been in tech for over 20 years. I grew into leadership positions and that's actually what I did up until three years ago when I started, decided to basically focus on my passion to support other women and help other women advance to executive roles. That's super fascinating. So thinking of being a software engineer, I don't come across even to this day, very many women that are software engineers. Uh, Did you have a very good network of women that were software engineers when you were starting out your career? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it started, uh, obviously, when I went to university and I remember to this day, the first day of university and I had the first class, actually it was a math, maybe it was calculus, I don't even remember which one, but it was math, math uh, class, and it was an auditorium of around 400 people, and there were very, very few women in the room, and I sat next to one of them, and we became uh, besties, Uh Uh, but there were very few women, you can count them on, on both hands. What inspired you to become a software engineer? It's not uh, very exciting, I would <laughs> say. I mean, I, I just uh, at, at uh, high school, I was very good at math and other, other STEM related, you know, uh, fields like chemistry and physics. It came very easy to me. And I figured, well, it just makes sense to study computer science. It's a good profession. It's nice. I mean, I, I, I did some coding in high school and I took a coding class when I was in the military service and I said, well, sounds interesting. So why not just go and study it? And it's a good profession. You make good money. Oh, nice. Good money. That's always a driving factor for most jobs, I would think. <laughs> <Right>. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned military service. Was that something that's required in Israel for young women or was that voluntary? Uh, it's mandatory. Oh wow! Uh, in Israel, both for men and women. No way. And uh, there are exceptions, but in general, it's a mandatory service. Oh, now, wow. when it's mandatory like that, what age do you find out you're going to be going in service? You go after high school when you're eighteen, eighteen plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, for so it depends on uh, the role you're doing. But in back then, it was two years for women and three years for men. It's changing because women have uh, started to also attend combat units. It wasn't in my times. 
actually, it was a big deal here in Israel uh, that women wanted to be combat, you know, in mm-hmm. combat units. They wanted to fly uh, jets. They want to do everything men do. And, mm-hmm. and they are. They are doing wonderful. So for women who go to combat units, they serve more. Okay. That's super interesting. I know that in the U.S. they don't have mandatory uh, military service, but I do know that over the last few years there have been a lot of conversations about whether or not women are going to be allowed to enter into combat on the front lines. And um, it's been a big discussion. It seems like you've been a leader in the space of women's empowerment and women's rights, though. When did that start for you? It was gradual. So I started my career as a software engineer and I was, for the most part, the only woman in the room. I I didn't work with many women around me. Not that there were none, but not many. And many times there there wasn't someone to look up to at the top. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women or people of color or any kind of diversity. And when I grew my career. I mean, it it wasn't always easy and I had to push myself forward and, and fight for what I I deserved. And I had to fight a lot of my own, you know, thoughts, whether I'm capable or not, just because being a minority is not easy. Right. And, and I think that when I started to lead larger organizations and team, I try to make a difference. I try to hire more women. I try to give women more opportunities. I try to help women who were not pushing themselves to push themselves forward. So gradually it became more and more apparent to me that this is a life mission that I should pursue. So having experiences of being in your career in Israel and in the United States, um, did you find it more challenging to promote when you were in Israel or in the United States? I don't think I found much differences, uh, to be honest. I didn't feel like it was harder or easier here than, than in the U.S. Um, I, I felt pretty similar, to be honest. So you think that uh, diversity in uh, corporate roles, really, whether it's in Israel or the United States, they still have the same issues and same problems? In high level, yes. I think that uh, maybe what is what is different that in the U.S. there are different kind of uh, minority groups than in Israel. So in Israel, for example, you could be uh, Muslims versus Jews. They could be, uh, you know, women that are uh, very ultra orthodox Haredi women. Mm-hmm. So there are different kind of minorities. Whether in the U.S. there would be you know, people of color or there will be people from uh, South America or from other Latina, you know, um, cultures. So there will be maybe different minority groups, but in essence, it's not much different. Right. Yeah. I was wondering about that because you mentioned being part of a minority group. Did you, or do you identify as part of a minority group in Israel or are you considered part of the majority? I mean, women in Israel are about 50% of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, and what I want to see is to see that kind of, uh, um, you know, numbers also at executive roles in tech and not just in tech. Mm-hmm. The problem is it that although women are about 50% of the population, you don't see that representation in executive roles and C-suite. 
I would agree with that. You know, my doctoral dissertation that I did was in the field of education, looking at the underrepresentation of Latinas. So women of uh, Latin descent that are represented in higher level leadership positions in school districts. And it's very interesting what comes into play to prevent women from getting into those roles. Some of it is external. Some of it is because of the system itself, but a lot of it has to do also with women seeing themselves as successful in that role and battling imposter syndrome. Is that something that you see with those that you coach? Absolutely. And, uh, and you, you hit basically the, the nail on the head. That's exactly where I specialize. So what I'm trying to do is to help women change their internal way of thinking, their behaviors, and push themselves forward. And obviously, as you mentioned, there are different factors. There are biases. There are, you know, different challenges. I'm trying to make a difference on the women themselves. So is this something that you do one-on-one or do you do like corporate coaching, like group coaching with women all together? What's your format? Mostly one-on-one. I also do group coaching. Um, So I do both, but I would say majority right now is one-on-one. And so with tackling imposter syndrome, um, how would you go about that? So like, let's say that you and I were working together and you noticed that I was struggling with imposter syndrome. Uh, what would be those first steps of trying to help me overcome it? Yeah. So I think, I think it depends on where you're at. Uh, meaning that for many women, I notice uh, very early in our relationship, a lot of confidence issues, and I try to help them see their strength, their value. So I would go uh, around, okay, founding, identifying strength, mm-hmm. maybe getting some feedback from others about strength. If I see that someone is very um, inconfident, I would uh, focus only on strength. If I see someone more confident, I will also try to get feedback on, on improvement areas. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, trying to work on limiting beliefs and what is holding that woman back mm-hmm. and trying to break those limiting beliefs and challenge. And, and I, I always challenge and the, the amount of challenge really depends on the individual. If I see that uh, someone is really struggling, I would try to make very, very small steps forward. For example, I had a woman that w- was dreading even asking for days off. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so, so I try to adapt myself to what the woman needs from me and push her on the pace that is right for her. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Hey, Lamar, I was going to ask you about your work week in Israel. Is it the same as it is here in the United States with the 40-hour, five-day, typical eight-hour day kind of job? Or you guys are on some other format? In general, yes. Uh, our work week is Sundays to Thursday. And we don't work on Friday and Saturday. Obviously, because I own my own business, I kind of work different hours, very right. flexible schedule. But for the regular folks, like, you know. For the regular, for the majority, I would say yes. But 
I can tell you that I, I posted uh, an article a few years back about, I called it the death of the nine to five. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Because I believe that this is something that eventually will be eliminated, at least in some sectors. And I was talking mostly on the tech sector. Because the thing is that I started working fully remote since 2016. I always work with people internationally, with people with different, you know, from different countries. Mm-hmm. And when you work in the tech industry and you work with so many people from different countries, different time zones, it's really hard to limit your work hours to specific schedule. Right, yeah. Right, that makes a lot of sense. And I was wondering about that. As we've seen the majority of companies have to at least experiment with some type of remote work because of COVID, do you find that women have had more success in promoting through remote work or has it set us back? I think it's a blessing. It's a blessing for everyone and for women even more so. I can share personally that uh, as a a mother of four, when I started my career and and started a family, the the word, the working word was more traditional. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, Chris, like the the nine to five and in office, actually in Israel, it was more 10 to six or 10 to seven with calls during the night because I worked for many years with California. So I always was on calls late Mm -hmm. at night. And as a working mother, I had to sacrifice something. And because my career was important for me, I sacrificed a lot of things related to my kids. I always had nannies. My kids stayed at a daycare and then someone picked them up, whether it was grandparents or babysitters. Right. And I, I only showed up at home like at 6 or 7 p.m., And in 2016, it all changed because I started working from home in a company that trusted their employees. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to do things I never done before, to pick up my kids from school, to attend school events, to go to meet with a teacher at 10 a.m. if I needed to, and uh, to be present while not sacrificing my career and not sacrificing my work because I was able to be flexible. And if I needed to work during the night, I would do that. But it allowed me the flexibility. And I think the remote work for women and not just women, for parents, for caregivers is a blessing because it provides a lot of flexibility. I totally agree with that. So when COVID hit, so I work in education administration, which is typically like the most classic, you know, eight to five kind of version. It's not even nine to five. It's eight to five for us or eight to six, because when, when children are in school, we have to be working to be able to support the schools and the school districts. But when we transitioned because of COVID for the first time, my employer agreed to remote work. And what's interesting is I had a female friend who um, she had a child in 2019 and was experiencing some health challenges and had to be on bed rest. And on her behalf, I lobbied human resources and I said, can we create a remote working policy because she's fully capable mentally to do the work. She just has to be in a bed to be able to, you know, rest for the well-being of her child. And they were like, absolutely not we don't do remote work. Our work isn't cut out for it. And she gave birth and then 
five months later, COVID hit and they didn't have the option. And now we've been working remote for over three years. And there's talk of, you know, allowing us to stay remote uh, at least three days a week, kind of for the indefinite future. And it's interesting how what was seen as not okay and wasn't possible is now the new norm. Have you found that that's happened for a lot of companies where they just are kind of keeping some type of remote operations? Absolutely. And uh, again, I'm, I'm mainly, I'm talking about the tech industry. Mm-hmm. Most companies here have a hybrid model where they want people to come to the office. Depends on the company. Some companies say once a week, twice a week, three times a week, but they allow hybrid model. And it's going to be very difficult for companies to mandate five, going back to the five days uh, in the office. I know that Amazon said that they enforce employees to go back to the offices. I think eventually people, you know, and now we're in an economic I would say, you know, um, situation. I don't know how to call it, but, uh, you know, obviously a lot of companies are, yeah, yeah. A a lot of companies are cutting, you know, headcounts and so forth. But, but eventually when economy will go up again, I think we'll see people that will leave a job if it does not allow us, uh, if it does not allow hybrid model, at least. So you've been doing remote work since 2016, you said. Do you have any idea what possibly could be some of the bad sides of working from remote? Yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, it's about building connections with people. It is much harder to do when you work remote, especially, you know, if you hire new people. It's not people that you used to work with for years and you know them already and then all of you go remote. But when you actually uh, hire people and create, you know, new teams, when people are not next to each other, it's harder to create the level of trust that you can when people actually go to the office and they meet each other and they go out for lunch and so forth. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Definitely that's one of the downsides. And also another thing is about communication, which is harder when you're remote when you're in the office, you can just go to someone and ask them a question. And when you're from home, you need to, you know, send an instant instant message or whatever. And some people don't feel comfortable to interrupt. Right. So with that being said, when we think about women in the workplace, one of the things that I've noticed is that when women are trying to promote, one of the best ways of supporting them is through mentorship. How do you see mentorship working in a remote or a hybrid setting for women to be able to promote within their companies? Yeah, I think mentorship should be offered to everyone, to be honest. I mean, I'm a great believer in mentorship. It helped me a lot. I wish I had more mentors. And to be honest, I started mentoring in 2017 and I do it all remote. So I I cannot even imagine how it's done in person anymore because I'm just doing it remote. Mm -hmm. And I coach women worldwide. So for me, it's like a second nature to do it remote. I don't see why it cannot happen. I love mentorship. I think it's great. It allows someone to get an external perspective, a sounding board. And a lot of confidence in herself. 
That makes a lot of sense. One of the things I've wondered is what's the difference between, or how does a person draw the line between like mentorship and ending up becoming the person's therapist? Because I found in some situations, women like to vent a lot in mentoring situations. So how do you hold appropriate boundaries in mentorship? Absolutely. And I would say it's even more complex than that. There is mentorship, there is coaching, and there is therapy. Mm-hmm. And there, the lines between them are kind of, you know, sometimes blurry. So I would see as mentorship as someone, you know, who comes with a lot of experience, a lot of times share experiences. And a coach is someone who is pushing you forward and helping you find your own answers. And a therapist that obviously helps you emotionally. I think that what I'm doing is kind of a combination of the three, although I'm not a therapist mm-hmm. and I don't have any any kind of uh, degree in that. But the, we cannot ignore the emotional state. And sometimes people need to vent when it all becomes around venting or around, you know, uh, the emotional side. If I, if I identify a situation when I believe someone may need support that I cannot provide maybe a therapist, then I would raise that. I was I, I wouldn't tell them go to, to a therapist or look for a psychologist or whatever, but I would raise that maybe you need additional help from someone. And I would try to focus our conversations on what we can do together and how can I help. That makes a lot of sense. And do you find that women that seek out mentorship and coaching are more introverted or extroverted? I would say probably more towards the introverted side because women who are, and and in general, people who are extroverted usually will have less difficulties championing from themselves, speaking out, building the connections. An introverted will be usually more waiting for someone to notice them. Mm. Oh, that's very interesting you say that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in the book, uh, Lean In, I think it was by Cheryl Sandberg, and she was talking about, you know, women finding their voice in the workplace. And she had that big campaign about um, opposing the word bossy. And so I was wondering if you support women in helping to find their voice and speaking up without being perceived as aggressive or bossy. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is one of the biases against women. When a woman is assertive, she sometimes is considered aggressive. Mm-hmm. That's not, now the men probably take that the wrong way, I would think, right? Yeah. And this is a, this is a, the side where companies and, and not just the men, to be honest, but in general, uh, companies and organizations need to accept the fact that uh, women should stand for themselves and being assertive is not aggr- is not the same as being aggressive. And what I try to do with women, I try to help them with speaking up in a respectful manner, but standing out for themselves. That makes- okay, well, okay. how do you give an example? Yeah, so for example, I have a woman who has challenges with her manager that is basically blocking her. From like promotion or something or? From everything. Mm. Uh, this, this manager is very centralized. He doesn't want her to talk to anyone else. 
And, and we were talking about it and she tried, she tried working with the manager, but it didn't work. Every time she tried to take an initiatives or try to speak with someone else, she's like asking for permission. And, and that manager says no. And I was, you know, we we're talking about, okay, eventually you should be willing to stop being nice. And again, not being impolite not being aggressive, not being disrespectful, but standing out for, the, for yourself. And if you think that you need to speak with someone else, that your manager doesn't like it, so be it. That's okay. Be transparent about it. Say why you are going to talk with whoever, but don't ask for permission. That makes a lot of sense. And it makes me wonder, as you were talking about that situation, it seemed like a a female uh, employee and a male manager. One of the things that I've found to be very intriguing is when you have a woman in leadership that feels threatened by other women that are underneath her. Uh, how would you have a woman navigate when they have a female manager who is, re who's, I guess, offering or inflicting the oppression in the workplace. Yeah, and that can happen both with women and men. I believe of being transparent, first of all, and confront the situation. Basically, a lot of times there's an elephant in the room and no one talks about it. So I, I recommend just confronting. Again, when I say confronting is not meaning fighting, or shouting or doing anything aggressive, but just saying to that person what what you see and what what you need to happen. I always also recommend to look at the other person and try to think why they are doing what they're doing and what do they need. Because a lot of time is serving confidence issues, uh, it's serving them feeling, as you said, threatened. And sometimes it's their own insecurities. So trying to understand the other person and see how you can address their needs, but still be able to progress. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense um, in terms of like trying to navigate. It's it's so complex, this dance of leadership, especially for women. I mean, Chris, We've been talking for a while. Do you find that men experience challenges in trying to promote too, or do you feel like it's more women? I would say it's probably uh, uh, probably about the same because there, there are guys that struggle with promotion, myself included, you know, but I've also not really seeked promotion. So that's probably why the reason why. But, um, but I, I can see there's probably situations where guys have really thought that they should be promoted and they get overlooked because somebody's a big kiss butt and they kiss butt <laughs> their way to the top. You know, do you ever see that a little more with uh, people trying to like uh, schmooze their way to the top? Yeah, I've seen multiple things. I've seen people trying to schmooze their way to the top. I've seen people being pushing themselves to the top, right? Being very uh, assertive. Uh, to be honest, some people I manage even th threatened. I mean, in a way that they said, oh, if you don't promote me, I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. So different yeah, people yeah. are taking different tactics. Yeah, I've heard the one where it's like, um, this other company is going to offer me X salary. And if you guys can't match that, peace out, I'm out of here. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
So that's obviously not the most productive approach if you're trying to preserve your job. So what are your recommendations for people that are looking for a promotion at work, whether they're men or women? How do they go about getting it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, you should uh, work with your manager always to get feedback and to build a plan for your promotion. It shouldn't be like something that, oh, now I need a promotion. It should be discussed in advance as much as possible with your manager, with your HR, understanding what's the next level, what's the expectations from you, what are the gaps and how. Your manager is responsible for that. That's the respons- part of their responsibility to support you and your growth. And the other thing I would say is I always recommend people to operate already at, this, at the next level. So I have actually a man I'm coaching right now, not a woman. Mm-hmm. And that man uh, wants to eventually go and be a, you know, a group manager or whatever. I don't remember exactly what the title is called, the debt company. And I told him, listen, I mean, think about what a group manager does and what you can start doing today. And it doesn't mean stepping on your manager toes. What I meant is taking initiatives, doing things that are above and beyond your responsibilities prove that you're already operating at that level. That's- oh, okay. So basically, yeah, I, I get you. So you're saying like try to be be already at that level already, even though you're really, your real role isn't quite there yet, but you're trying to walk the talk, I guess, or walk walk it. You know? Absolutely. Yes, yes. And a- again, it's not stepping on, on someone else's toes, but it's like operating at a different level, thinking more strategically, doing things that maybe your next level would do. (laughs) So you just uh, triggered a thought for me. So when I was uh, earlier in my education career, I didn't have any mentors. And all of a sudden, one of the, the leads of our school district, for some reason, singled me out to coach me. And, um, and he wanted to see me promote to be a school principal And the phrase that he used with me that I think reflects what you're saying is he called it managing up. He told me I needed to manage up. And when I asked him what that meant, he said, you need to exist as if you're in that role already and elevate your thinking to start embodying those characteristics. So the confidence in leadership, the ability to make decisions without being disrespectful. But um, he used that phrase and that's something that I've tried to carry with me throughout my career that I think has helped me to be pretty successful is this manage up kind of concept. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Although usually when I use the managing up uh, phrase, I, I, I mean something different. Okay. <laughs> I mean, usually manage your manager, but, but yes, I completely agree with you. And personally, I can share that when I was uh, you know, when I wanted to be promoted to the next level or to expand my responsibilities, I always thought about, okay, how can I prove that I can actually do it and took initiatives and showed confidence in my manager that I'm capable. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the things that I'm reflecting on is I don't know how many companies actually have a structure to coach their people on how to aspire into leadership. So how could you come alongside a company 
to teach them how to train up their employees so that they see themselves as leaders? Uh, I think it's uh, multiple things probably, and it depends on the company. First of all, something more generic is, as, as I mentioned, right? Trying to, first of all, cre- create clear role definitions, clear expectations of what expectations are from a person filling a role. Because I've seen that over and over again in multiple companies, that the role definitions are not very clear and people are not clear of what is expected from them to be promoted. So at the company level, the HR level, I would do that first to make sure that everyone is clear on what is expected from a person at each level. That makes a lot of sense. Well, do you get a lot of people that try to say, uh, that's not my job to do. So don't be asking me to do that. Do we get a lot? Of, what do you, how do you handle that kind of stuff? Between different levels. What do you mean? That's not my job. Uh, okay. That- you, you'll get, a, well, especially in my career and careers I've had is that somebody will ask you to do something and they say, well, that's not my job. Or that's outside of my job description. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think with, with that kind of response, if I was the manager of that person, an alarm will go in my head thinking, okay, what's the motivation of this person? Because someone who says that's not my job, I will try to understand why they're saying that. Are they demotivated? Or maybe they are kind of people that likes very clear definitions of what the role is and they need to operate between those definitions. Uh, so I think I would try first to understand why the person is saying what they're saying and try to influence them to think bigger. But I I don't take into account that, uh, basically I take into account that each person is different and think differently. Right, but what I was saying is that like you were saying, like different, if your parameters of your job are this and that, and they're asking you to do something that's outside those parameters, and you're like, wait a second, you hired me to do these tasks. My role at this company is to do this and this. It's not to do that. So now I'm confused now. Are you are you trying to move my move my job around? Are you trying to move my my title? Are you trying to move my spot? What's going what like you're now you're confusing me as the employee. Now I'm totally confused. What am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to do this or that? I don't even know. Yeah. That that's that's a great example. I think in, in that case, if the employee is confused, they, they need to sit with their manager and and do expectation matching of what is expected from them in the role and what is expected from them if they want to move up the ladder. You know, that's you're giving me an epiphany right now. I'm thinking, goodness, after this conversation is over. I think I need to go and email my bosses. So in all transparency, I've been wrestling. I've been in the same organization for almost eight years. And we've just had a leadership change because of some complications that I can't get into, but it's a good change. So we have a new leader that's in charge of our organization and, or at least our division. And I have been trying to promote and been asking to promote and have been hitting the glass ceiling for you know, five years. And so now I'm thinking, you know, maybe I need to take the initiative and email my supervisors and say, I'd love to talk with you about what it's going to take for me to be able to promote and having that explicit conversation, especially now that I've built a good relationship with our new leadership, um, who knows that I've been held back for a while. 
I think it would give me that confidence to just say, Hey, like, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm operating. What would it look like for you from your perspective for me to get ready for that next level of promotion? What would I need to accomplish? I think being explicit would be really helpful for me. Great. Yeah. And by the way, I usually, usually I recommend when, when uh, people approach me with, Oh, how would I ask for a promotion or how would I start a conversation? Usually I recommend starting the conversation with asking for feedback. Oh, oh that's so a like, good one. So like, how am I doing right now at this role I have right now? What are, what are your thoughts on how I am? Like yeah. That. Asking for real feedback uh, about how you operate today, about both the things you're doing well and what are the things that maybe either you're overlooking or you need to do better. And that can open up the discussion about, okay, what, what would it take for me to go to the next level. So that's scary for me because I had, so I'm always worried that it's going to be like a, a catch 22 situation where I ask for feedback and then all of a sudden I find out I've been doing horribly. I had this one experience when I was 19 years old, I was an intern for a state Senator and I thought I was doing great. I got great feedback from the Senator and right before I finished my internship, I sat down with the chief of staff and I asked for feedback and it was that she wished I would have done more. And here I thought I was doing great the whole time. So how do you help people overcome that fear of feedback? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. First of all, by the way, if that happens, it means that your manager is not doing their job. Mm. Because I always believed that those feedback discussions should not be a surprise. When something happens, good or bad, your manager should give you timely feedback, both when you're doing good things and both when you're maybe overlooking something. And if you dread something, it means that you need to do it. That's also my belief. And starting, starting small, you know, uh, and, and the more you do it, the more you'll feel comfortable with it. Asking for feedback is hard when you are, you know, maybe in your case, you are a little bit traumatized. I would use the word traumatized. Uh, I know it's a strong word, but because it's really traumatic when you think you're doing a great job and then all of a sudden someone tells you not. Right. That's exactly and what it felt like. <laughs> well, you're, you're yeah. kind of surprised because you, don't, you were thinking you're doing great, but then you find you're not. So, you know. Right. It gives you like trauma around feedback in general. And it was at a young, impressionable age. And it was my first experience with getting feedback. And so I think that that's kind of, I mean, if you and I were coaching together, I'd say like, Hey, Limor, can you help me figure out how to overcome the trauma of receiving feedback from my supervisors? Because I think, you know, as I'm reflecting, I don't ask for feedback a lot because I actually don't want to hear what they say in case it's bad. Yeah, so I would ask you, what would make you less intimidating? I mean, not maybe maybe not with your manager, but maybe think about a case where you can ask feedback from someone about something. What would be the a small step forward you can take in receiving feedback that will make you feel 
less intimidating. So like saying a small project or a small kind of a thing, not like a mate, not like over, not like overall arch of the entire your entire role of the company, but like something like a small thing you did. Like how how was the thing I just did? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it could be something like that, or it could be asking maybe for feedback from peers or for someone you feel okay. more comfortable with. So okay. I always believe in gradually taking small steps forward. So if asking for, oh, how am I doing in this role from your manager is really intimidating, try to do a small step forward. Yeah, from like a peer. Like, that's not too threatening, you know, like, yeah. like, your, like your buddy. You're like, hey, what do you, what do you think I did on this job? Think pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. I love it. You know, yeah, I get that. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, that's super helpful because I think that I do start off with the tell me how I'm doing overall versus like, let's start with this one specific project and, you know, let's talk about that. And I think also for so many people overcoming feedback as feeling like it's a personal reflection on you as a human versus on the work. Like I feel like when I'm asking for feedback, I assign so much value in how the person, the other person Uh, perceives me versus like separating it as this is feedback on a job versus feedback on me as a human. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that uh, even if you did something, you know, uh, not the best way, or even if someone gave you constructive feedback, it doesn't reflect on you. It just reflects on what you did and it's an opportunity to improve. So practicing getting constructive feedback will help you grow. And, yeah. and try to find opportunities to, to do it always, on a small uh, scale. Always try to find ways to improve. I always look for ways to improve everything I do, especially the podcasting stuff. You're always trying to make sure the best way to do things. And if I do that, I try to find a better way to do it and keep on growing. Absolutely. So speaking of podcasting, Limor, we hear that you have recently entered into the podcasting space. Can you tell us a little bit about your brand new podcast that you've been producing? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I started a new podcast called From a Woman to a Leader. And that podcast is uh, dedicated to discussing women's unique challenges in the tech industry, especially women in tech leadership. And women I'm interviewing, I'm, I'm asking them to provide actionable tips to help other women overcome those challenges in their careers in the tech industry. So far, I did... Uh, three interviews. One is not published yet. So the first one was about fixing the broken rung. The second one was about setting smart goals. And the next interview that I'm going to publish soon is about growing from a mid-level manager to an executive. Nice. So I'm trying to bring women in different roles and help other women step up. That sounds amazing. And so how many episodes have you released now? <laughs> so far, just three, and I'm going to release the fourth Soon. Oh, oh, nice. Nice. That's amazing. And so where are you streaming currently? You mean how, where am I publishing the podcast? Yeah, I'm using yeah. Where can Spotify. people find it? Uh-huh. I'm using Spotify right now. Okay, nice. Uh, it was called Encore and now they, they changed it to podcasters, Spotify.com. Yeah. Yeah. It was Anchor. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Are you, uh, are you planning on moving on over to Apple? Uh, I think it's, automatically streamed to, so I connected it to Apple and to Spotify and to Amazon and Google. Those are the big ones right there. I think, I yeah. think, uh, 
Yeah, I always say like if you're gonna put it in just two places, I say Apple and Spotify, probably the number two, because like if everybody has an iPhone, they're on Apple, they use Apple, and people who have an Android are on uh, Spotify. Out of curiosity, are you Android or Apple? I'm an Apple all over. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now we're talking. But I did hear that um, a lot of the European countries, uh, I don't think you guys would be considered European country, but I heard over there, a lot of them are using uh, Android versus Apple. Like it's the majority of the phones are Android users. But Yeah. So, yeah, in Israel, like I would say Android is more popular. Okay. Because Apple products are very expensive. Okay. But I'm an Apple fan, so everything <laughs> no, is too. Apple. I know we we move. Christine finally got me to switch over to a to a MacBook Pro from an old PC I've been using <laughs> for decades. In fact, we started our podcast on the old PC. It's still here in the tomb. We, we keep it in over here. <laughs> PC stands for a piece of something else. Piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we we are definitely Mac users. I mean, it's definitely been a, a journey for us as well. But we're excited to hear about your new podcast and that you're getting out there with your message, because as you were saying that you're coaching individuals in more of a one-on-one setting, I think that the podcast platform is going to give you the opportunity to share some of those more universal lessons that women can use. And there is a, a need for this in the space because you're right. Women are facing so many challenges and being able to overcome imposter syndrome and those self-limiting beliefs that are keeping them from reaching their full potential. Yes. And I want to give the stage for those women who made it and, and got to leadership roles to help others and to have others listen to them and believe it's possible for themselves as well. Absolutely. Now, Limor, you mentioned that your mentoring and your coaching is an international business. So for our listeners that are hearing about what you do and thinking that they could benefit from your services, how can they reach out to you and consult with you to see if you would be a good match to work with them? Sure. Uh, I would say the best place would be LinkedIn. Just type Limor Bergman and you'll find me. And there's a link on my profile to book an introductory s- session with me. Nice. And I like to point actually people to LinkedIn rather to, to my website, just because that's where I post all the content. Okay, and nice. people should get to know me better before they even want to talk to me. Right. I'll put a link to that LinkedIn in the links in the links in the uh... <laughs> <laughs> link in the LinkedIn and the links in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put the link in the show notes. Absolutely. And so if anybody doesn't, for some reason, have a LinkedIn profile, how else can they reach out to you? So they can just go to my uh, website, limorbergman.com, and there is a contact me form and they can just fill it out and I'll get back to them. Awesome. That sounds amazing. So listeners, if you have piqued your curiosity, whether you're a woman or a man, and you feel like learning more about Limor's services are something for you, definitely reach out to her on LinkedIn through her website and subscribe to that podcast. And tell us again what the name of that podcast is. It's called From a Woman to a Leader. Wonderful. And so subscribe to From a Woman to a Leader and definitely leave those five-star reviews because we know that that makes a huge difference for up and coming podcasts. And so Limor, do you have any last words of wisdom for our listeners? 
I would just say, you know, go and conquer the world. <laughs> you know, believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, find, find others who believe in yourself more than you do and it help you. Nice. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And we wish you all of the best as you continue your leadership journey. Thank you both. It was a pleasure. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. Well, Lee Moore was super fascinating and I love talking with her about you know, women's empowerment and leadership development and just in general, seeing yourself as more successful in the workplace. That is always the goal with everybody to have be more successful, I would think, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I hope, but some people don't, you know, but you yeah. Know. And you know, I've, I've thought of what it would be like if I had a, like a coach, like a leadership coach outside of my workplace, separate from my business, but like related to my full-time job. And I wonder, I wonder how things would be different for me if I had a, like somebody coaching me like that. If, would I be uh, more direct? Would I be uh, more soft around the edges? Because I just find that sometimes I'm a little bit too intense for people. I was thinking about this as things have been happening in my career and there were some dicey situations happening. And I find myself consistently being the one speaking up against bad situations and then getting called out or singled out because of it. And I started to, I was thinking this as I was getting ready this morning is like, why is it that I feel the need to be the voice that speaks out when things are unethical? And I just, I don't know what it is where I'm like, I can't just let that go, whatever it is. Like if somebody's not doing the right thing, why can't I just let it go? Like so many other people. And I just, I wonder what that is. Maybe it's just because I was raised with integrity and, you know, you and I were talking about this the other day about having the inability to lie. Like it is, you're a very, very honest person, even when it's uncomfortable and for me. you said me. it's too honest sometimes. Yes, too honest sometimes. And, you know, I think I have a little bit more tact when it comes to honesty, but. Well, um, I think what gets you lying with me is I think it's the whole lying to make yourself sound better than you really are. Just be who you are. That's yeah. the thing I understand. The difference is like. If your wife comes out and says, hey, honey, how do I look in this outfit? You, you'll you do the pause like, well, do you have something else you could wear? I'm okay. Okay, Chris, <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. And, you know, at least I have a little bit of a filter with that. Be like, yeah, it's really nice. You know, I wonder if you were to tweak this, this, and this. If it's it was the looking same, better. same thing. No, it's, it's, it's the approach is different. But I was thinking back to like professionally, you know, having integrity in the workplace is so, so important, but also speaking the truth is important and also not burning bridges. And so I wonder 
maybe it's because I'm still young enough in my career. I mean, I can't claim that very much longer. I'm in my 40s already. But What? You are? I thought you were 29. I know. But I wonder how things would be different if I had a coach that helped me figure out how to deliver information in a way that doesn't make people defensive. Because for me, I'm just like, well, this is wrong and we have to address it. And people don't always like that because they don't want to know that they're wrong. Oh, nobody. Yes, that's very true. Nobody <laughs> likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody likes to be told what to do really either. If you think about it, when you, get to, when you get to a career level, I think a level like you're at right now, everybody got there because of something, right? They, right. Did, you know, they're already at this level. They either, whether they went a hundred years in the, with the company or whether they've got a doctorate like you or whatever it could be. When they get to that level, they just feel like they're just untouchable and you can't tell me what to do. I don't know if they feel untouchable, but they definitely, um, they feel that they need to be spoken to in a certain way. And, you know, I'm not saying this to point fingers at anyone. I've just been reflecting on a couple of situations that occurred recently. And I don't know. I'm just, it's, it's been a long career already. I was talking with our financial advisor just on Friday and we were going over retirement planning and setting up um, investments and savings and things like that. And we were talking about how old, like how much longer I need to go before I can retire. At a minimum, I need to get another 10 years of service in. But age wise, I'm supposed to go till 57 and a half, which is another 15 years. So you're saying you retire early? Well, 57 and a half. I mean, I mean physically, early. you can like physically and. Like economically, you can retire. No, early. I can leave education fully vested at 30 years. And if I don't have to draw from my retirement until I'm 57 and a half, if I can do something for that five year in between time, then I'm not going to mess with all of my like my good pension. But yeah, it's oh, it's just a, you know, interesting dynamic right now. Just thinking about like, what's it going to take to continue to be in my line of service and be effective and be happy. And, you know, it's like that magic recipe is you can be effective and be in your career and be miserable, or you could be happy and be in your career and be ineffective. And so it's like, how do you figure out how to do all the things? You know, I have no idea, you know, like I'm still trying to figure it out. I think we're all still trying to figure out, make, make the best of whatever situation we have career wise, because, you know, uh, everybody, whether, whatever you do, you are doing something to pay his money to do the thing you're doing. And yeah. that's kind of a job. And I think you have to think about, is this job making me happy or making me, um, money? And if, I mean, well, I mean, hopefully it would do both. I mean, it well, doesn't, it doesn't maybe, always, maybe it doesn't have to make you happy, but does it allow you to preserve your happiness? Because I think sometimes people depend on their job to, give them all of their satisfaction, which I'm not trying to do. And I think you're not trying to do like, we're not looking at our job as like the source of, of joy and happiness. Well, there are the, those who do that. I they, know. they go to their job on their day off. Oh, that's so crazy. Oh yeah. They'll hang out. Cause they got nothing else going on. I guess, but you know, we're just going to keep digging into this. And I think that you and I are on this like self-seeking journey right now where we have our full-time gig and then we're like, okay, well what else could keep us happy? And you know, fulfill us and and help us to explore our passions. And so anyways, I'm excited that Lee Moore was on the show today and helped us to really think about that and explore that. And 
Um, I look forward to hearing about more from some of our upcoming wonderful guests that we have on the show and getting back on our regular podcasting timeline. I know, it's like getting back on the bike, you know, I it's know. like pedaling. It's like, hey, honey, I'm gonna take this bike off a jump. No, no, no. You haven't ridden in a long time. Just, <laughs> just get down the driveway first. Don't be yeah, taking exactly, jumps. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Chris, where can our listeners find out more about us if maybe they're tuning in for the first time today and want to find some of our old episodes? Well, you can find out all about us and our podcast at chrisandchristineshow.com. And there's a link to it in the show notes of this episode. And on that website, you can find out more about this podcast. You can find out more about Chris's show, Podtastic Audio. You can also learn more about our podcast consulting services that Chris provides and Christine Smith Designs, which is our wedding and event planning business. We are just an entrepreneurial couple. That's right. And don't forget the K2 Media Network. Yep, absolutely. You can also find out more about our radio station there that Chris produces and We are just so grateful for all of you and your ongoing support. Here we are wrapping out almost four years. We're getting ready to come up on our four-year mark of this podcast. And we're just so grateful. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you listening. This has been great. And we'll be back with you next next week. week.